0: Together and ask the Lord to help us to understand His Word. Lord, we thank you that we can be together. And we thank you that you've given us the Bible. And we thank you for the work of your Spirit in us to shape us and to be change us to be more like Jesus. We ask that you would do that now. You know the places where we resist your word. Um, you know the struggles that we have in obeying. And so we ask that you would remember uh, that you're merciful and you've promised to extend mercy to those that call upon you. So we come humbly before you. I pray that you would give me favor with those who hear and that you would use the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts so that we would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. When you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, bow down and worship the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. I love the book of Daniel. As a kid, my mother taught me that book over and over again, so much so that I can say to you this morning without looking, when you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the but the psaltery, bow down and worship the image. And she taught me other things about the book of Daniel too. And I hope that you will grow to love the book of Daniel as we take a path through it these next weeks. This morning what I want to do is to, uh, we, we really have kind of a limited thing. We want to do an overview of the book of Daniel, first of all by putting Daniel in some kind of historical perspective. And then after we've done that, then we want to kind of narrow our thinking down to what it was like for him when he first arrived in Babylon. And out of that, make a few applications for our lives now, centuries after he lived and served. When you came in, I hope that you... Received one of these. If you did not, would you please hold up your hand? Don't hold this up, hold up your hand, because David will pass out one's. Okay, here's one. There are a few hands. Okay. Keep your hand up, David will bring them around. Now, first of all, a disclaimer this is not my work. The only thing that I did was make a few copies of it, and Juanita did the rest. Uh, This is the work of Dave McClellan, who's a pastor out in eastern Ohio. And um, I think that this will help us, if you're like me, in figuring out where Daniel fits in the Bible and where we fit in relation to him uh, as 21st century followers of Jesus. So you'll notice up in the left-hand corner a tent And down below that is Abraham, and then over in the right-hand corner, thousand years before Christ is David, and then in the bottom right-hand corner, there's a tomb, which is to mark the time of Jesus, and then over in the left-hand corner, reference to a church split, and then we come all the way back to Abraham. So what I want to do now is take this and kind of superimpose it as a timeline around the room. Um, So imagine that Abraham is right over here above the music stands. And then in the back corner, um, who would be back there? Well, David, see? And then how about at the sound booth? Who's over there? Jesus. And who's up here? Well, the church split. So we can easily mark different places in Bible history just by remembering this little outline around the room. So for example, again, looking at your card, where would we find Moses? Would he be between a church split and Abraham? No, Moses is partway down the wall there between Abraham and David. And where would we find Daniel? Well, Daniel's between David and the coming of Christ. You can mark Daniel down right at the back doors, uh, about 500 B.C. And um, then what would be between the coming of Christ and this church split? Well, halfway down the wall, about 500 B.C., Uh, A.D. is the monastic movement, which is very important in the movement of the gospel around the world. And then where would we find the Reformation? Well, on this timeline, it's probably somewhere around the cross behind me. So here is Daniel then at the back door, 500 years between King David and the coming of Jesus. Now, you could just keep this and use it at home if you wanted to. You could sit in your living room and say, well, well let's see, where is Abraham? And where is he in real? know, you could do that, or any room in the house, really. And uh, another thing you could do is, uh, as if you wanted to keep this in your Bible, you could mark down other places that are hard for you to remember, on the back maybe, and uh, then fill it out. And this is an attempt to give us a better handle on where things fall in the unfolding of God's plan. Okay, now that we've had the big look at where Daniel fits in Bible history, the next thing that we want to do is talk about the immediate context of the book of Daniel. And uh, to do that, we want to refer to the verses that Lynn read a few minutes ago from Psalm 137 and also uh, to a couple verses at the beginning of the book of Daniel. So if uh, you have trouble finding places in the Bible and I say, well, please turn to Psalm 137, uh, and you say, I don't have a foggiest idea of where it is, here's an easy way. Psalms, the book of Psalms is about in the middle of the Bible. I, You know, that's where, so just let your Bible fall open to about the middle and you'll come to the book of Psalms. Uh, There are 150 different Psalms or 150 chapters in the book of Psalms and we're at Psalm 137. So if you could find that and just put your finger in it. And now what we wanna do is go from there over to the book of Daniel and maybe you say to me, I have no idea where the book of Daniel is. That's kind of an easy one too uh, for this reason. Um, when I come out of the book of Psalms, what I do is turn to the right. Uh, I have to get closer to the New Testament. And so after Psalms comes Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and bingo, Daniel is the next one. So if you just turn over a few pages to uh, past those books I mentioned, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, come to Daniel chapter one. And we, we want to focus our attention on verses one and two. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. What is this? The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. How can that be? Well, how about a quick review? I think we'll be able to figure it out. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. God says to Abraham, Abraham, I've chosen you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so, the Lord did multiply Abraham as a family. And before long, it was the nation of Israel. And that nation went down into Egypt as slaves. How could that be? Well, God had said to Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Was the Lord Lord sincere when he said that? Or was that just a passing comment? The Lord wanted to bless the nation of Egypt. And so Israel lives there as slaves for 400 years. And we know something of the blessing because when Israel came out of Egypt, we're told that it was a mixed multitude. It was not Jews only. There were Gentiles that came out with Jewish people because they wanted to be identified with the people of God. After deliverance from Egypt, then what happens? Joshua leads the nation through the wilderness. Moses leads them through the wilderness. Joshua leads them into the promised land where they begin to vanquish the pagan peoples of that nation. But we know that in that case, God was continuing his covenant promises because people like Rahab came to know the Lord. Pagan woman. So much so that she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew. Matthew. Well, after Israel comes into the land, then it's divided between 12 tribes, and then there's a very sad part. For about 50 years, uh, 50 years, 450 years, uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 20, for about 450 years, uh, judges rule in the nation. And the watchword there was everybody did what was right in their own eyes. It was a very sad time. Eventually, though, the Lord raised up kings, Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, and after that, the nation splits. There's a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. Northern kingdom, 10 tribes, southern kingdom, two tribes, and things don't go well. The people of Israel are not walking with the Lord. There's not only this split, but... 722, the Lord brings Assyrians and they conquer the northern tribes of Israel. They are vanquished. They are scattered, never to return. And then, beginning of 600 uh, B.C., Nebuchadnezzar comes along and he now does what we just read, Nebuchadnezzar conquers the southern kingdom with Jehoiakim as king. Over the next 23 years, there would be three other instances where Nebuchadnezzar would raid the southern kingdom and exile people who lived there. In the third year, of the reign of King Jehoiakim, we are told Nebuchadnezzar comes to Jerusalem and besieges it. How could this be? How could God allow his people to be subjected to this kind of treatment? In the covenant, God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. But he also said, if you do not follow me, I will curse you. So there are these twin ideas in the covenant. Obey me and I'll bless you. Disobey me and I'll curse you. And at this point now, immorality and idolatry are rampant among the Jewish people. And so the Lord, faithful to his covenant promise, brings judgment on Jehoiakim and the southern tribes. We shouldn't be surprised at that, the Lord had said it. Look at Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 27 for example. He says, if you turn away from the Lord, I will scatter you among the nations, and you will be few in number. The Lord is doing two things here. First of all, he is keeping his promise to his people, and secondly, he is underscoring the sovereignty of his purposes. He says, I'm committed to blessing all peoples. And if you won't be a blessing, then you will involuntarily take my name to pagan peoples. And that's what happens as Israel now goes into captivity in Babylon. The Lord wants to bless Babylon. What an unusual way to do it. And then the Lord says, um, I love you, to Israel. Same passage, Deuteronomy 4. I love you, and if you return to me, I will return to you because I'm merciful and gracious, full of compassion. So when Nebuchadnezzar defeats Judah and the nation goes into exile, the Lord is keeping his covenant that he made with Abraham and his descendants. The Lord is a merciful God, that's the emphasis here. God loves his creation and he loves the people that he will save. But the book of Daniel is this sobering reminder and it pauses, It causes us to pause and consider if the Lord is really about the business of making his name great in all the earth To what extent are you living for God's agenda? More specifically, to what extent are you orienting your life for that which God has purposed he will accomplish and that end for which Jesus lived and died and rose again? It goes to every aspect of your life, how you use your time, how you use your talent, how you use the financial resources the Lord has given you. Well, so we've looked at where Daniel fits in Bible history. Where where is he, anyway, in this room? Oh yeah, he's right back there. That's where Daniel is. Um, Now what we want, and we've touched on how Daniel ended up in Babylon. But now what we want to do is ask this question. What was it like to be an exile in that pagan land? Well, now we can turn back to Psalm 137. And you'll notice right away, first verse, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. It was a sad time to be in Babylon for Jewish exiles. They knew something of the violence of war. They knew something about being separated from their family. They knew something about exile, oppression. And as best we can tell, Daniel was perhaps an early-aged teenager, maybe 14, 13, 15, something like that, when he was taken into Babylon. Daniel reminds us, just by him being an exile, of what people tell us are about 80 million people around the world today who are exiles, not living in their homeland. What do people do in times of deep distress? That's what Psalm 137 is about. Now, it's a psalm of lament. The writer is grieving in his pain. It's chiastically structured so that you see balance at the beginning, at the end of the psalm. Babylon mentioned at the beginning. Babylon mentioned at the end. Then, Zion remembered in the middle section, both front and back. And then right in the middle, how can we sing songs of Zion as our captors want us to do when we're in a strange land? How can we sing songs that are designed for the glory of God in front of those that just want to make fun of us and are being being captives now and exiled? How can we do it? And the answer seems to be, we can't do it. It's an impossibility. Uh, And and so they say, uh, so the writer says, "I, I don't wanna know how to play anymore. I don't wanna sing anymore if I have to do it in these circumstances. We are in such pain. We are in such distress. We're far from home we're surrounded by pagans, we're mocked and we're required to give some kind of expression of our music, which is to be for God's glory, just to satisfy our captors. And who knows, when this psalm was written, it may have been that the writer also was reflecting on Israel's long years of disobedience. Maybe the writer thought to himself, Hmm. if we hadn't disobeyed the Lord, maybe we wouldn't be in exile now. Maybe we wouldn't have experienced the consequences of our disobedience. Well, whatever that speculation may be, what we want to do is ask ourselves the question, how do people who are in deep distress respond based on this psalm? And I think there are some pretty easy steps that are identified here. What's the first thing that we see? The writer acknowledges his pain and he cries out to the Lord. I wonder, I know that there's pain in your life, I don't know the details perhaps, but there is pain in your life, right? That's time to go to the Lord. Psalm 62 verse 8 says, pour out your heart. The Lord, O people. You move toward Him when you're in distress. In other words, grieve honestly. Don't try to act as if everything is all together and good when down in your heart of hearts you're breaking apart. But then the other thing that we see here in this psalm is this remembering. Remember. We remember the past, and in the Psalm, first of all, there's a reference to remembering Zion, and then there's a reference to remembering Jerusalem. And what does this remembering do? Well, it provides perspective. When we think about the past and how the Lord has cared for us in difficult times, it's an encouragement. It gives us perspective. It also gives us confidence for the present. For example, Paul says, He who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is not the end. Your distress, how bad it is today, is not the end of God's work in your life. And so that's what the psalmist does. He remembers God's goodness and uh, gives him hope. And uh, uh, imagine, imagine that you like me, received a text this week from a friend who's out of state. am not talking about any of you. He's from out of state, and he's talking about how overwhelmed he felt. And as I listened to his story, I thought, yeah, I think if I were in his boots, I'd feel overwhelmed as well. He's vulnerable. Well, this psalm encourages us to cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. And I'd say that to him if he were here right now. In your distress, turn to the Lord. Don't try to handle life's problems by yourself. You were not designed to carry that kind of weight. You need to cast your cares on the Lord because he will sustain you. Remember how the Lord has brought you through storms in the past. And then there's one more help in this psalm. Pray. You see how it ends? Verses 8 and 9 are prayer. They're a prayer that the Lord would prove himself and give relief by coming in righteous justice. Now, what we've tried to do is look at where Daniel fits in the broad sweep of Bible history, and we know he's at the back door. What we've done is tried to look at what it was like for him to be in that circumstance as Psalm 137 gives us insight into people that were exiles in Babylon, But where do we go from here if we want to get an overview of the book of Daniel? Well, here's one thing that we can glean from this book that I think is important and a source of encouragement. Based on Daniel's experience, and let me just say this. uh, Daniel was in Babylon, do you know how long? You know how long he was there? Anybody know? Best we can tell, Daniel lived in Babylon as an exile and never went home from the time that he was fourteen, at least 70 more years. Long time. And he was faithful to the Lord all those years from the record that we're left with and that's to say a follower of christ does not have to be in ideal circumstances in order to flourish you don't have to be in ideal circumstances because the grace of god that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we ought to live righteous, godly lives looking forward to the return of Jesus. The heart of this book is really about the advance of the kingdom of God to all the peoples of the world. Let me try to say that a little differently. The basis for the Bible is God's heart to save lost humanity. That's the reason that we have the Bible or we can flip it the other way. God's commitment to save lost humanity is the reason that we have the Bible. Missions is the basis for this book. And the Bible lays out for us the basis for missions. Now, Daniel centers on the death, resurrection, and return of Christ. You say to me, can you prove it? Well, all right, that's a good question. How about turning to Daniel chapter 7, And look at verses 13. Ezekiel, Daniel, where am I? And it's interesting. This is just about smack dab in the middle of the book, too. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. What do we read? Well, there's a picture of somebody who's called the son of man. And he comes, and he establishes his kingdom um, for and among all peoples and languages and nations. And so you see it then in verse 14, and they're going to worship him. The kingdoms of this world, according to the book of Daniel, will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. So Daniel teaches us, first of all, that you don't have to have ideal circumstances in which to flourish for the Lord. That's the first thing. The second thing is, Daniel teaches us, Jesus is coming again. We can live in the hope of his coming. And we can serve the Lord by making his name known in all the earth. There's a place for you to do that. Where might it be this week? How might you keep in step with what the Lord is doing? Lord, we thank you for your word, and we ask you to bless it to us. Encourage us as we think about your faithfulness to Daniel. We pray that you would help us more than that to be encouraged by your promise that you will never leave us or forsake us. And We ask these mercies in Jesus' name.